We're going to carry on in this how-to series this week as we look at the next stage of development that the Apostle John looks at in 1 John chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there to 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading the exact same verses that I read last week in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through to 14. And we read this. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 14. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. There's a repetition of truths that goes from children to young men to fathers and then repeats from children to young men to fathers. If you read throughout the whole letter of John, there is this structure in the way he writes whereby he repeats A, B, C. You read further down a chapter, you'll find the repetition of those same truths, A, B, C. And it actually re repeats itself all throughout that whole letter. Repetition is the emphasis of some very important truths that for our benefit spiritually need to be taken hold of. And while last week, we looked at technon and paideon, the children of God and how to live as such. Today, I wanted us to look at the stage of young men and women. It's inclusive in that word. That word young men is the word neoniskos, neoniskos. And the way young men are defined here in this word neoniskos is different to how we define the word young men today. For example, when we refer to young men, we think of teens. We refer to teens as sort of youth. We refer to those in their 20s as like young adults. We refer to those that are 30 plus as old. That's, that's, pretty, that's, pretty, much, that's pretty much what we do. But in the Neoniskos, in this word here, young men gives us a specific age. It actually refers to this age. 40 and under. So essentially, if you are 40 and under, you are deemed a young person, biblically. You are a neoniskos, which means those of us that are not, you're old. That's, that's me. I, I missed out by that by quite a bit. I know, I know. So while I look at this, why we looked at last week, children as immature, as children as developing, Today we're going to look at young men and women. I'm, going to, I'm only going to say young men, but I, I, I titled this sermon, How to Live as a Follower of Jesus. Last week was how to live as a child of God, how to function within structure, how to learn, how to discover, how to rely, how to depend. Today we look at a young man and how to follow. Why? What does following imply? Uh, the desire to step out, the desire to discover, the desire to know and experience personally. So let me open in a word of prayer, 
And let's look at what the scriptures have to teach us today about being young men in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that you've laid out before us in scripture. And as we look now, I pray that you will help us. Help us to know your heart. Help us to see your hand at work. Help us to respond to the convictions you burden our hearts with. Father, please stir within us a thirst and a desire for righteousness that will not be quenched unless it is quenched by you and by you alone. So, Father, please help us now. Please use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what then does a young man look like? What does a young man do? Now, using the illustration of growing up that we started last week, when we look at young men, when we look at teens, when we look at young people, what do we see? We see that there is this effort to step out. There is this willingness to discover who they are as they wrestle with their identity. They want to find out for themselves. Now, they do not shed the structure and the values that they were raised and established in as children. But as they get older, as they mature, what happens? They want to step out for themselves and find out for themselves what life is and the part they have to play in that life. So in context with this passage, we have the, this phrase made mentioned by the Apostle John, and he mentions that, twice the context of young men in this passage and if you've got your bibles open look at those two verses again in verse 13 b and in verse 14 b we read this i'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one that's the first time then he says i write to you young men because you are strong and the word of god lives in you and you have overcome the evil one now if you remember in verse 12 the technon word, correct? I, I'm, please forgive me if I'm babbling or if, if, I'm, if I'm losing you. You have this technon word that applies to everybody, every believer, doesn't matter age, gender, status, no matter what. All of us are children of God through faith in Christ who have come to know him and understand him and, and, and receive the grace that is found in Christ. In a similar vein, in verse 13, he says this, you have overcome the wicked one. It's to address the young men who have come to this understanding of, of the victory that they have received in Christ. The, the, the victory the, the, that the, well, sorry, the knowledge that the enemy has been defeated, that the enemy's power has been destroyed, and that this world can now be overcome. That's what you receive in Christ. That is a theological reality that happens. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says this, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. That word overcome here is the same word that is used in today's text. The same word of overcoming, of prevailing, of conquering, of subduing. 
Literally, it means this. This word overcome, used in 1 John 5, 4, and in 1 John chapter 2 here, it means this, to literally get the victory. You have the win. You've got the W. That's what it is. But it isn't something that I achieve through my own effort. It's not something that I attain by trying harder. It's not, it's not something that I, I possess because I have forsaken some things and held on to other things. No, it is rather received in Jesus Christ. We celebrated communion today. He paid the debt of my sin by shedding his blood, not mine. He defeated the enemy through his death on the cross, not me. He conquered death by his resurrection from the dead, and he now is my intercessor and my advocate in his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Thus, we come to understand this reality as a young man when it says that we have overcome the evil one. We have overcome him in Christ. When we trusted in Christ, his sacrifice on the cross gave me the win gave me the victory. That's why because we have trusted in Jesus and be born again by a spirit, we read this reality in Romans 8.37 that we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. Who is that? Jesus. Look at the person next to you and say you are more than a conqueror. That didn't sound enthusiastic at all, but okay. Because as, as young men, what do we learn? We learn about this new life. We learn about this new life in Christ. We learn about our new ability. We learn about our new purpose. We learn about this new empowerment by his spirit. We learn that we now have the strength to, to not only go and do something, but actually do it. That's what we come to learn. We learn that we have been set free from sin because we have been crucified with Christ. Make note of Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It talks about that. And because of that, we should reckon ourselves dead to sin. In verse 7, it says of Romans 6, he that is dead is what? Free from sin. So we learn of this new freedom. And in that freedom, what do we learn? We learn that we are now slaves of righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verse 18 that we have come to know these theological realities in our walk and in our growth with Jesus. And that is what John is stating here in verse 13. He's saying to them this, like he writes first in verse 12. He goes, I write to you, dear children, because your sins are forgiven you on account of his name. I want you to know that foundational, that vital, that valuable truth that your sins are forgiven on account of his name. That is who you are now. You are set free. As a baby, we come to know the greatness of that love. That's who you are. And then as a young man, he's saying to them, I also want you to know this, that you are also victorious because of Jesus that you have the win because of Jesus, that you have power because of Jesus, that you can overcome because of Jesus, that, you are, that, that the battle is yours because of Jesus. 
John writes this whole letter, not just this part, but this whole letter. He says, I write to you children and I write to you young men so that you know the greatness of his love and that you know that you are victorious in that love. See, it's one thing to know this is what I have. It's also another thing to know that what you've been given, what you've been given is victory in Christ so that, so that you know these things so that all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword nor by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all into our hands. 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. You know what I call that? The, the, the knowledge of that reality, the knowledge of that spiritual truth. I call that this. Know your place. Know your place. Know that you are victorious in Christ. Know that he has won it for you. Know that you have overcome and can overcome sin. You see, no matter what anybody says, no matter what the enemy whispers into your ear, say, oh, Kenny, you're useless, man. Oh, Tommy, you're not loved. Oh, Mel, you're a failure. No matter what the enemy says, does nothing to change that reality. Does nothing to change the spiritual truth that the word of God has revealed to you that you are not only loved, you are victorious in Christ. A case in point, I, I, I like to use this as an illustration. I'm Psalm 1, but I do not speak Psalm 1. I was not, ra- I, I was not raised in the fa- Psalm 1, the Psalm 1 way. And I have heard many things that I am what some people have called a, a plastic Polynesian. Uh, I'm a plastic Polynesian uh, um, yeah, just, just because I, there are certain things that I don't know or, or may not understand, or whatever it might be. But regardless, regardless of what other people say, regardless of what other people accuse me of, does nothing to change who my mum and dad are. Does nothing to change my bloodline. Does nothing to change the blood flowing through my veins. Does nothing to change that. So that regardless of whoever says what they say about me as being a Samoan, I can say, I am Stan Helg's son. I am the grandson of Fritz and Emile Helg from Falaval. I can hold on to those things because what anybody says does nothing to change that. So too then. Should not then the identity I have in Christ hold more value to me as a child of God, as his son and as his daughter, and to know as a young man I have been given the victory in Christ. That's why, that's why I want you, yeah, it is so wonderful to be a child of God, but to cherish what that actually is, to understand what that actually means and where God wants to take you as his technon and as his young, and as his young man for his kingdom. So know your place, know your position, know your personhood in Christ. The other aspect, though, is in verse 14b, when he describes specifics, where one is a theological truth, your position, your place as a young man in Christ that has overcome the wicked one, 
Then he says, I'll write unto you young men, and then he gives some indicators of what that looks like. The, the developmental stages of a young man. He goes, because you are strong, because the word of God lives in you, and because you have overcome the evil one. Now, being a young man is more than just aging time-wise. Okay? Because I know a lot of people who are old, like myself, but would still be considered immature, like myself. That's a reality, okay? It's more than just aging time-wise. It is the maturing and developing of one's character, of one's skills, and one's equipping that applies the lessons learned physically and effectively to life. That's what being a young man is. It's about applying the lessons that you've learned, the skills that you've attained practically and effectively to life. It's why, as a youngster, you can have an impact for the kingdom of God. I mean, I look at Jenna. How old are you, Jenna? She's 13 years old. That's why a 13-year-old can have an effect, sometimes even a greater effect for the kingdom of God than someone that might be 30 years old. It's why a 12-year-old could have an effect for the kingdom of God greater than a 52-year-old. Why? Because the maturing and the developing isn't just about time, but it's about relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about developing. It's about what you know and how you apply what you know. That's why Paul says what? Well, you don't know what he's saying. What? Because I haven't told you what he's saying. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Even as a youngster, you can have a huge impact on other people's lives for the glory of God. I mean, because I, I look at this. If we go back to the illustration of, of children growing, I think about the things that we learn educationally. We go to school, we learn to read, we learn to write. I mean, we learn this at home as well. We learn various values. We learn the social aspects of life. Socially, you know, we learn how to interact with others. We learn how to respect authority. We learn how, how to, to, to do various things socially. We learn about rejection. Oh, rejection. I like you. I don't. <laughs> We learn about rejection. We learn about all that. As we get even older, what happens? We learn about responsibility. We learn about failure. We learn about determination. We learn about all these things. Now, we learn about all these things through life in order to apply practically and effectively in life so that when we are faced with a situation, we can do what? We can stand. Parents raise their children so that they'll have the capacity to stand resiliently in the faces of the harshness of life, because life is hard. Okay? Now, think about that regarding our spiritual lives. We start off as children, yes, and I want to actually share something. We start off as children, yes, and we mature as we walk with the Lord, as we, as we discover who he is, as we grow in our relationship with him, as he develops us through the various things, both triumphs 
and tragedies, both victories and failures. God is using every situation, every instance of when things go well and when things don't to shape you in your dependence upon him. That's what he's doing. So that when we do come across something, we can stand. Not reliant on other people, but reliant on him. Not trusting in other people, but trusting in him. Not depending on other people, but depending on him. That's why. I mean, think about this. Think about this. And we experienced this for two years during COVID. If everybody, if they outlawed what we believe today, if they said you have to deny that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, you have to reject the teachings of the Bible, if they made what we believe today criminal, would you still follow? Would you still rely? If you could not gather here on a Sunday to enjoy the fellowship and the worship with other brothers and sisters, will you still follow? Will you still believe? Too much within the Christian church today is based upon what other people do and not what God is doing in our lives. I won't go because this person said that. Or, or I'm depending on other people to feed me. Or other people to care for me. Or other people to comfort me. If I was still having my butt wiped by my mum as a 50-year-old man, you would say there is something wrong with that man. And yet, for many of us as Christians, we want other people to coddle and to wipe our butts all the time. Excuse my language. That's part of growth. Because what does a young man do? What does a young man do who is strong? A young man wants to test their abilities. A young man wants to see what they can do before the harshness of life slaps them in the face. Okay, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's what you want to do. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do. Young people, like, they're, they're eager to learn. Young people are eager to learn. Young people are passionate and, and zealous. Young people are enthusiastic and, and they're full of energy. People are driven and they're committed. Young people are, are flexible. Young people are optimistic. And, and young people still, and still with all of that, there's still this amazing room for growth because they know they don't know it all. I, I love hearing year 12 farewell speeches and graduation because you hear them. We ha I had a student come back. She'd be, she came for her sister's graduation. And she'd been gone from school maybe four years and came back and heard the year 12 speeches. And like, it's like young people in year 12, they want to change the world. Young people in year 12, they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to go do that. We're going to go get educated. We're going to make a difference. We're going to make an impact in the community. We're going to create stuff. And, and my friend said, she's a Christian. She goes, oh, it's so, it's so exciting hearing the enthusiasm of young people at this stage. And then life hits them. And I was like, but that, I mean, that, that's okay. That, that's okay. But this is the excitement that we have as, as the children of God, knowing that we have the victory in Christ. That, that whole thing, like we as the young people of God are equipped in such a way to step out by faith and see God do amazing things. For example, when it says here that they're strong, that word is, is kuros. And it means this, to be boisterous, to be valiant, to be mighty, to be 
powerful, which to me expresses not a physical aptitude, but an attitude and state of character. That's what that shows me. The enthusiasm and zeal of claiming a promise of God. The, the energy to step out by faith and watch what God will do. A young man that has the courage to make the tough choices for their own personal holiness. The, the young woman that is strong to stand for her own personal righteousness. The, the child that is strong to stand against their friends who would force them to do something that's in contrary to their values biblically. A father that stands to lead their home. A mother that chooses to submit and to support her husband. Those, that's what it means to be strong. One who is strong, one who is willing to and excited to take a step of faith and see what God will do. That's what that means. Christians who are strong in Christ and, and strong in what he has made available to us in order to stand. For example, if, write down Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. We read this. Put on the whole armor of God so that when the day, day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. I remember back in my young, younger days, just the stuff. I would try anything just to say that I've done it. And I went, okay, for example, I was at year seven camp this week. And I, I, I was doing archery and I, I beat all the kids that I, that I, that I shot against and, and beat all the teachers that I shot against. It was fun, just destroying people's self-esteem. It was really quite fun. Um, but they had this, you, they have a giant swing there. And for those who don't know, there's giant swings, which are a lot of fun. They're about maybe, it was 15 to 18 meters high, really high. But they also have what's called the Goliath swing, which is 30 meters high. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a go. You know, I'm, I'm sweet, I'm sweet. And so um, the, only, the only negative is that the kids had to pull me up. And like, so yeah, so thankfully we had 25 kids that were able to pull me up to the, to the 30, to 30 meter mark which was fun. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is fun. I'm really excited. That looks so big. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this. And then they start lifting me up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, going up, going up. As soon as I get sort of past this sort of angle, I'm like, okay, this is high. And then get up. And then, and then I'm still going. I thought, I must be near the top soon. And I, no, and I'm still going. And I'm still going. And I get right to the top. And I'm terrified. I'm just like, this is really scary. I didn't realize how scary it was. And they say, you have to release and then you're left with a choice. Now, pride is a shocking thing. It is a shocking thing because I'm thinking I would like to go back down. But you can't. You can't. My own ego put me in that position, and now I had to deal with the consequences. And so I had to release myself, which was terrifying, and then I have all the children that were there, the 25 kids and the other teachers, I was the only one that screamed. So, okay. Okay, but... The, the, the reason is this. It was, I guess you could say, some would call courage to go up there. I would say stupidity. But it's when you're there, you have to make the tough choice, don't you? And it's having the courage to make the tough choice. Do I do it or not? 
That's part of being what a young man is. I watched all these kids who went up there and they did it and, and they were absolutely amazing. But it's to stand, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. It's so that we might stand, making the tough choice in order to stand in the face of opposition, stand in the face of difficulty, stand in the face of, of hardship in Christ. Thus, there is this desire to master then. If we are going to stand, then it is important for us to master the things that have been made available to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 in the King James says this, Everyone who strives for mastery is temperate or is disciplined in all things. If there's something that you want to be able to do, let's say it is to live holy. Let's say it is to live, um, to, I don't know, to, to be victorious. Let's say it is to do various things, to live in accordance with the reality that you are, well, then that might require a hard choice. It might mean being disciplined in other ways, disciplined in how you speak to your kids, disciplined in what you watch and what you choose not to watch, disciplined in what you listen to, disciplined even in what you eat. But it says this, if you're going to strive for mastery, then you've got to be disciplined. That's just a fact of life, of, of submitting to that structure in all things. And this is interesting in the King James of um, 1 Corinthians 9.25, it says this. Now they do it, he's talking about athletes, we're looking at the Commonwealth Games at the moment. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, a gold medal, a silver medal, a bronze medal, acknowledgement. We do it for an incorruptible crown. We do it for something that lasts to eternity. Something that will have an effect in a person's life. Something that will have an impact. And what happens with that is this. That like David as a youngster, David as a young man, you're keen to get into the fight. In 1 Samuel 17 verses 45 to 49, I, I, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. But essentially it's this. David confronts Goliath. He's a young teen boy. He sees what's going on. In verse 48, we read this. As the Philistine, Samson, not Samson, Goliath, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David, what do we read David do in verse 48? David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. There's an arrogance that goes with young people, isn't there? An arrogance that they know everything. An, an arrogance that they can do anything. An arrogance that says they're invincible. That's what happens. I look at what David has here, and it is not arrogance, it is trust. Trust in the promises of God. Reliance upon his spirit. Also trust in his skill. But he, when faced with a trial, did not run away, he ran too. He said, there's my opposition, and he's like, you want to take me on? I'll take you on. And he walks up, and it re you read in verse 49, I believe, he throws one single stone that embeds itself in his forehead, and he falls down dead. That is the victory that we have been given in Christ. David is a picture of a young man, literally, who is strong physically, yes, but he is also strong in faith. He is strong in experience. He killed a lion and a bear. He is strong in his weapon proficiency. He knew how to use his sling, and he is strong in the Lord. Now, if I am to apply such things to me, 
How is my weapon? How proficient am I in bearing my sword? Or do I have my sword sheathed day after day? How proficient am I as I get on my knees in prayer and rely on God to move in the lives and hearts of others? What is my mastery level like when it comes to being in my relationship with him? Because like David, if I am strong in him, strong with what he has given me, strong in faith, then the victory is mine. And how is that done? The second thing that is described there, that the word of God lives in you. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but notice the wording there. The word of God, which is alive and powerful in Hebrews 4, it says, which is the God-breathed word that is profitable for teaching and for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness in 2 Timothy 3. The, the, the word that refreshes the soul, that lights my path, that, that keeps me from sin. Notice that it says that the word of God lives in you. It is a part of who you are. The, the comment has been made of John Bunyan who wrote the, by the Pilgrim's Progress that if you cut him, he would not bleed, he would bibble. Because he had saturated himself in the word of God, that when he was cut open, scripture would just pour out of his body. That's, that's how it was referred to. But it was the word of God was not factual knowledge that he held on to. It was not verses that he would quote to make him feel better about himself. It wasn't historical information in which he could spout out. It was living in him. The word of God was living in him. That's how it's described here, that the word of God lives in you, that you are governed by God's word, but also by God himself. What is it? The word of God and by the God of the word is the one who determines your thoughts, your actions, your direction. The authority of God's word is the guiding authority in all matters that pertain unto life and godliness. In other words, you are able to stand and you're responsible for your connection with the Lord. If you're parents, you're responsible for your kids' connection with the Lord. But I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, and please, I'm not, I'm not trying to pass the buck. I'm not trying to exempt myself of any responsibility personally, but I am responsible to the Lord for me and my family. And I cannot blame Jasmine. I cannot blame Kenny. I cannot blame Uncle Fred or anybody else within my life for how I raise my family or how I treat my wife or how my relationship, the depth of my relationship with the Lord. Because it's my relationship. You cannot walk it for me. You cannot live it for me. And God has given me all things to which my relationship with him could be successful and could be legitimate. That, that I am to search the scriptures as for hidden treasures, as it talks about in Proverbs 2. To know how to trust the Lord in prayer and knowing that he will answer whether I like the answer or not. Know how to step out by faith on the promises of God. I don't know how many of you know, but today is the church anniversary. 24 years, is it? 24 years, Eva? 24 years. 
And I think about Pastor Ben and Pastor Evelyn and the people who founded this church 24 years ago, and I see young men and women who stepped out to see what God would do. Who boldly stepped out. Not having all the answers, not having everything prepared, not knowing what's going to happen. But they stepped out as young men, and God delivered with all the struggles, with all the triumphs, with all the mistakes, and with all the blessing. The truth of God's word remained in them and brought forth life. And in that life, they experienced victory over temptation. They gained personal conquering of strongholds. They overcame sinful habits experienced. And they had deliverance from bondage. Or as John puts it in this verse, you have overcome the wicked one or the evil one. You see, this overcoming in this particular passage, verse, uh, verse 13b, that's the position. We have victory. This one here in verse 14b, it talks about us. It's pointing to us and our personal overcoming as we rely in the Lord. It's talking about us and our sanctifying as we trust in him, the sanctification of one's own life, the applying of God's word to your specific struggles, to your specific context, the reality of of Romans 6, 6, knowing that your old man is rendered powerless, And it's not only known, but it is lived. I want you to bear that in mind. It's not only known, it is lived. That when you look at the likes of Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yes, that it is known. Wonderful that you know it, but that it is lived. Because that's what a young man does. That it is lived. The truth of of trusting in Christ in Hebrews 4.13 when it says entering into the rest that we have in Christ, into that rest from all our work, yes, that we know it, that's fine, but that it is lived. That's where it makes the difference. How? To borrow from a well-known brand, just do it. Just do it. When I was up on the Goliath swing, it just had, okay, you couldn't go back, just do it. That, that's all it was. One of the funniest things was like, I, 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 for those who, I was doing archery against one teacher, and I said to him, just off the cuff, I said, just to let you know that I've been taking it easy on you, I'll hit a bullseye now. And I just, I just, I just went, boom. And it wasn't, I didn't aim, I just picked it up, pulled it back, let it go, and I hit the bullseye. And everybody was just like, oh, and I'm like, that's got to be one of the biggest flukes I've ever pulled off in my life. To talk that much trash and to pull it off, that's ridiculous. So everyone was just singing, singing my praises and things like that. I was, yeah, yeah, I meant that, I meant that. Except the teacher. The teacher's like, you didn't mean that, did you? I said, no, not at all. Not, 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 a, not at all. But it was just a matter of actually doing it. I could talk about it as much as I like, but it comes down to doing it. This is what differentiates a young man from a child. Child is in the safety and security of structure, yes. What does a young man do? A young man says, okay, now it's time to live. Now it's time to do. This is where it's being doers of the word, not just a hearer only. Now, in closing, I want to, I want to make something very clear. In closing, I want to make something very clear. This is all part of our growth. This is all part of our development. This is all part of, yes, you might fail. That's, that's fine. 
That's how God works in you and, and teaches you and, and grows you. Even in your immaturity as a child, that's still okay. It, it's not a bad thing. It just means that there's room for growth and for God to continue to work and for God to shape you and, and, and mold you. We have a tendency, or I have a tendency of wording things, of saying this is good and this is bad. While in the eyes of God, God is more important with are you closer to me or not? That's what he is more concerned with. He's more concerned with what's affecting my relationship with you. What's, what's, what's stopping you from trusting in me? What's preventing you from seeing my hand in your life? That's what he is more concerned with. And so as a child, we see this structure for the purpose of knowing him. As a young man, he wants us to draw even closer to him so we could see him work in even greater ways. And when we fall, you know what he says? He says, get up, let's go again. That's the blessing we have in our relationship with Jesus. That's what he wants us to see above all else. And that we hold on to him, even in the most difficult of times, even in the most greatest of times, we can see the amazing things that he will do by his grace and by his spirit. Okay, so with that, if you'd like to bow your heads, I'll close on a word of prayer. And I want to encourage you to meditate on these truths this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word we thank you so much that you never, you never leave us to our own devices. You are continually working and, and shaping and, and prompting and prodding us within our own hearts. Father, we can get so caught up in our own lives. We can get so caught up in the busyness of just what we're doing. And we can sometimes lose sight of the fact of what you are doing in our lives is trying to make us more like you. So I pray that this morning that we as children, we as immature children even, that we will see you in our immaturity and be, well, be developed by your spirit to grow. And that as we do grow, we will grow in our dependence, we will grow in our faith, we will grow in our reliance upon you. Father, help us. Just help us to be young men who are strong in the word, who, are, who have overcome our own personal trials by your spirit, and who rely on your presence to lead and direct us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of your glory. Unto you be all glory in the church, both now and even to the end of the age. Amen.